The Guardian. Warning! This podcast contains language that some listeners may find amusing. What's happening in the course of the next hour? Well, first up after the news, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Cunt, uh, Hunt, the Culture Secretary, about... <coughs> I'm John Plunkett, and coming up on this week's Media Talk, a nation weeps into its cornflakes as James Nochty drops the C-bomb on today. Also in the podcast, the search to find a new head for BBC Vision begins. Plus... OK, we're all right. <laughs> Corrie turns 50 with a bang. And Simon, um, I don't know, he kind of, he, he's the dark prince of the show. He doesn't uh, come onto the floor that often. He spends most of his time indulging in uh, big talk with people on the other side of the Atlantic. I, think, uh, I would hate to see his phone bill. We hear from the voice of the X Factor as we look forward to the grand finale. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Yep, me again. Matt's still on jury service, but word is he'll be out in four to ten weeks for good behaviour. Anyway, keeping me company in the pod this week are two old friends, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. It's uh, Jane Martinson's, a former editor of Media Guardian. Uh, Jane, how's life as the uh, Guardian's woman's editor? It's great. Thanks. Just come from a piece about birth trauma to coming here for a different kind of trauma. Bit of a gear change? <laughs> Just a bit. And also in the pod is Mr. Steve Eckerman, who is Managing Director of the Digital and Radio Production Company, Something Else. Steve, how are you? I'm very well and no, bo- no birth trauma near me at the moment. So. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, well, listen, there's really only one place to start this week, and it's Radio 4. If you're listening at home with small children, you might want to listen to something else less offensive, like uh, Lady Gaga or maybe um, Steve Hewlett's media show. What's happening in the course of the next hour? Well, first up after the news, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Cunt, uh, Hunt, the Culture Secretary, about... Broadband. Uh, A word before we go on. I'm afraid many of you will have noticed that I landed in one of those awful verbal tangles just before 8 o'clock, courtesy, I should say, of Dr Spooner. Uh, Some of you thought it funny. Some, we also know from emails, uh, were fairly offended on a Monday morning. And uh, all I can say is, occasionally in live broadcasting, these things happen. And uh, I'm very sorry to uh, anyone who thought it wasn't what they wanted to hear over their breakfast. Neither did I. Uh, we heard this morning one of the primary examples of the Freudian slip that we're ever likely to hear on Radio 4. Um, <laughs> we're, not being, we're not going to repeat <coughs> in quite the terms it happened. But, <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but now anybody, almost anybody now listening who was listening this morning will be aware of something that's happened. Now, Jer- uh, Jer- Jeremy Cunt, the, the, <laughs> Hunt, the, <laughs> the culture secretary, had his name Freudianly transposed. Right. An unfortunate case of the Dr Spooners there, or was it a Freudian slip by first James Nochty and then Andrew Marr? Jane and Steve, today's the 30th anniversary of the death of John Lennon. Everyone remembers where they were then. Uh, but where were you when Jim let rip? Um, well, I was actually I was downstairs and wasn't near the radio until then I came in an hour later and, uh, and obviously was able to listen to it again. And uh, what I love best about the story is that Jeremy Hunt is now being called Jeremy Rhyming Slang. Is that right? Which it's, it's I quite like that you could say, you're such a Jeremy, and everyone would know what you meant. So is it becoming part of the... Uh, Much better word, in fact. Can we expect to see it in the Oxford Dictionary of Slang maybe next year? Maybe. I mean, it, it was definitely an accident waiting to happen, wasn't it? It was always going to, uh, you know, the... Uh, now, I've got to be really careful. <laughs> Steady. <laughs> I'm really panicked about, about getting it wrong. But, um, you know, if you're in charge of culture and your name's Jeremy Hunt... it. It was an accident waiting to happen. Also, if you're just sort of, you know, 
Tory minister in the coalition government um, cutting more things than ever before. I think it's actually quite a good word, isn't it, to say you're a Jeremy and everyone knows what you mean. Oh, I'm sure he'll. I'm sure he'll be grateful for that. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> now you missed it, as did I. But it's the joy of Twitter and online and listen again. Of course, exactly. that it doesn't matter. But a few years ago, he'd have got away with it, and no one would have heard it again. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually, Twitter just makes these things completely impossible to ignore, and it's fabulous for that. How do you think they handled it, Steve? I, I thought his coughing fit straight after was the, the lamest coughing fit I've ever heard, and I, I wasn't buying that. I couldn't quite tell if it was a coughing fit or, or he he was actually uh, falling into it. You know, he was trying to hold back the laughter as well. I mean, you know. It was a great, fun moment. And in fact, if you love moments like that and you are on Twitter, you've got to follow um, hashtag Radio Phil. Any bloopers that happen anywhere in the country normally end up there. So I'd, uh, I'd recommend that because this one has definitely been the, uh, the uh, two, 2010 winner, I think. <laughs> and, but for Andrew Marr to do it again in the second programme, I mean, that really was uh, taking, the, uh, taking the biscuit. <laughs> taking the, yeah. Um, it is quite, I mean, if you try to say his name lots, it is. You know, you can imagine that's been done before. And to be fair, he, Jeremy Hunt, um, took it with very good grace and was quite funny about it, wasn't it? I mean, you can't imagine it's the first time. Uh, well, possibly not. Uh, well, it was a bad day all round for Radio 4. Not only that, they later interviewed the wrong person on The World at One. Um, Eric the Builder, it turned out, was definitely not Edinburgh West MP Mike Crockhart. Now, now <laughs> hey, we've all made mistakes, but to interview um, a, a Scottish MP, uh, to think you're interviewing a Scottish MP and the guy you're chatting to is, is uh, appears to be from Yorkshire with a sort of comedy squeaky voice was, uh, was a, a major fail. Someone either in the gallery or, or sitting back in the office should have been picking up on that. And, uh, you know, that, that's obviously way below the standards you would normally expect to Radio 4. So I, I, I would say if I was the, uh, the Radio 4 controller, I'd obviously be looking at that one a bit more seriously yeah, than... No, than right. uh, than the slip-up on the Today programme. And when Mark Damazar, the former controller, left, he said one thing Radio 4 had to do was cut out the on-air mistakes. Uh, things uh, that happened um, previously was reading out the, one, the wrong shipping forecast, for instance. But it seems it's, it's, it's still happening. You know, it's a disease that hasn't gone away. If an error happens, an error happens. However, in any programme production team, there will always be a series of safety nets. You know, someone writes the script, someone else will be checking that. Presumably the guy was then, he was then phoned ahead of time and, you know, got, got, got on the line. Um by the guys in the gallery. So there's always going to be a series of, of uh, moments where actually someone should have identified there was, there was a problem going on. Especially um, at Radio 4. Yeah, especially, well, especially at Radio 4, but even, you know, I think you'd expect the same at Talk Sport or Radio 5 or, you know, any serious net, network used to dealing in speech radio and getting people mm. on air all the time. Well, the, the better news for Radio 4, possibly not for listeners, is that um, Angus Dayton's coming back for the first time in 20 years. Uh, it's, a, it's a new show called It's Your Round, uh, where, the, uh, where the guests bring in their own round. So it's a bit like having a guest host, but, uh, like Have I Got News For You, but guest rounds instead. Are, are you, Steve, are you going to welcome Angus back with uh, open arms? Well, it's a clever format, and I, I mean, I'm actually a big, a big fan of the, um, of the sort of Monday and Friday comedy slots on, um, on Radio 4. And I think, I, I think actually part of this story, the sort of, maybe the more interesting part of it was that this is one of the programs that's going to feature, I think, on a Monday and is then going to form a Monday podcast that they're going to start doing because the Friday comedy podcast is one of the, uh, top downloaded podcasts in the country at the moment. So, so interesting that, that Radio 4 looking to sort of push that forward. As for Angus Dayton, yeah, you know, come on, bring him back. He needs to have something to do, doesn't he? Uh, moving away from Radio 4, uh, TalkSport want a review of Five Lives budget. Uh, now, you may remember the National Audit Office last year, how could you forget, said that um, the BBC could learn a thing or two from commercial radio when it came to uh, um, efficiencies and how much they spend on, on programme production. Uh, John Myers is investigating Radio 1, Radio 2 and also... Um, one extra and six music, uh, but not 
Radio's three, four, or five live. And Talksport said it should take a look at five live as well. Uh, Steve, have they got a point, or is it just um, sort of Talksport self-interest here? Well, there's obviously an element of self-interest. Talksport's uh, biggest bidding rival partner for sports rights is obviously Five Live. Uh, how, however, um, they can clearly make a a pretty strong case as well that they're a national station and they're able to do things on a shoestring. I don't know quite where I sit on this issue because really, you know, I can absolutely see both both sides, which is that, um, uh, you know, if you're a commercial radio operator, you're bound to look at the BBC and say, well, they're spending too much, we can do it for, for cheaper, this, this should all be looked at. However, the flip side, you could argue, is that the audiences are voting with their feet and BBC Radio have the lion's share uh, of of uh, listening, I think about fifty four percent at the moment, and uh, and and therefore you could argue a lot of that is down to quality and the fact that they're investing more in their programmes. It's a difficult one because commercial radio is never going to be able to spend the levels that BBC spend on their programmes for for obvious reasons and. Therefore, does that mean the BBC should have to drop down to commercial radio's level or do we all just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way it is? Difficult one to, uh, to I think, really, you know, completely depends where, where you're coming from, whether you're, whether you're a BBC person or a commercial person. Jane, Mark Thompson's got to find about £300 million worth of savings, but he seems to have indicated that that is more likely to come from TV than radio. Well, at the moment, it seems to be coming from some of his senior executives, as he sort of goes through and um, sides uh, people as opposed to the level of his own pay or uh, any of the ones that are remaining. Um, But, yeah, on radio, I mean, I think what's interesting is, you know, I remember when Capital and, uh, uh, you know, the the big merger happened, that this was always – commercial radio stations have always said the BBC is spending far too much. I mean, the pay grades are different. But as you say, users or listeners are are voting for the thing that actually sounds better. And I know TalkSport's been successful, but, you know – the BBC shows that when it comes to sort of high quality drama and stuff like that, it costs quite a lot of money, but uh, you know, that's what they should be doing. So I'm sure there is a case for some efficiencies and I'm sure there's no one at the BBC who can afford to not use uh, efficiencies in radio. But, um, you know, as I say, I think it, they produce good stuff and the commercial radio sector sadly hasn't really done that for some time. I think, I think when, when you're looking at uh, BBC efficiencies, um, you know, there's not a big spend going on web and obviously there's 25% savings coming there. Uh, radio has, has, has for a long time um, been under a pretty tight regime. I think, um, I think this year they're spending the budget's about 600 million or maybe just over 600 million and that's gone up by about 10 million from the previous year. So, so not a big increase there. Whereas obviously you look at BBC TV and I think you can absolutely find um, savings there right, right across the board, mainly because TV is just much more expensive to um, produce and, and, and therefore you can obviously pretty quickly find savings in terms of maybe how often you, you repeat things. I suppose it's Mark Thompson's bigger, better uh, philosophy, you know, the idea of sort of doing doing less, but but uh, doing it bigger and better. In terms of BBC Radio and it, and in terms of Five Live, you know, Talk, talk Sport absolutely do do have a case to to a degree, but there are huge chunks of Five Live's output that actually are not comparable to to Talk Sport. You know, the the the, the news and journalistic elements, some of the more built comedy programs, are not things that at the moment you would find featuring as much on Talk Sport. 
And the battle between TalkSport and Five Lives is a fascinating one with uh, TalkSport getting more football rights. This is away from efficiencies. TalkSport getting more football rights and uh, coming up to a record audience, nearly 3 million in the last quarter. So it's really one to watch over the next 12 months as those extra football rights kick in. TalkSport have done a fantastic job. I, I, I think, actually, if you're looking for sort of um, good news stories for commercial radio in the past 12 months, TalkSport and Absolute Radio, as two of the, the owners of, of national commercial licenses, are, have both in their own ways been really good news stories for commercial radio. And what they've done at TalkSport in the past 12 months I think has been great news for commercial radio because it does show that actually with a bit of spend on programming commercial radio absolutely can can produce the results that'll do nicely well there's more on all things radio over at mediaguardian.co.uk you're listening to media talk with John Plunkett nice now last week we told you about Jana Bennett's departure from BBC Vision we've now found out a little bit more about her new job since then she's going to oversee the global iPlayer it'll be subscription only video on demand but Jane, this doesn't seem to be the best time politically for the BBC to be launching such a project. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that there's always been, um, you know, the Conservatives have always been happy despite um, what the BBC's commercial rivals have said for the BBC to make money outside the UK. So the BBC.com uh, venture where they put advertising on, I think there is always that, you know, it's easier to sell to the Daily Mail reader that could perhaps be a heartland voting um uh, electorate that um you know your license fee is going towards people outside the uk watching bbc services i think that they, they don't like that if you say we make money from how successful we are as a great british export that's the argument now obviously if if it's seen as a huge rival to commercial um operations as it will be there is going to be a sort of some sort of lobby but i think if the bbc is clever i think they can actually say this is an apps we have to do this it will make money the iplayer has revolutionized the way we watch the tv in this country we can make money from this outside and And if they do it in a sorry but then if they do it in an open platform way where where you know you could actually see that was the problem with the iplayer um which they're trying not very successfully um to redress with Canvas, you know, if you actually allow other British companies to take part in that, that could be a win-win. So I, I see it could be a great thing. I mean, you know, it, with all things the BBC, it's highly political, so who knows how it'll end. It's not short of ambition. It's essentially a, a, a global TV channel, isn't it, online? Mm. Um, and they're hoping that people will pay up to sort of $10 a show for things like Torchwood and, and Doctor Who in the US. Steve? I think the, the danger for the BBC with this is obviously once you go global, you're really... Uh, prodding the really big dinosaurs, you know, the Microsofts, the NBCs, the, you know, some of the, some of the really big players in the media space, obviously um, uh, Sky uh, in, its, in its sort of much, m- much more broader sense. And once you start doing that, um, you know, the BBC's on, on less firm ground here as a justified reason for, 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 why, for why it should be extending there. I mean, as you said, the iPlayer has been phenomenally su- successful in the UK, it's not going to have the same level of success in a market like like the US purely because obviously it doesn't have um, the right sort of product for the, for the US through and through. But even if it's only a quarter su- successful, that's still a big chunk it's going to take away from Hulu and some of the other uh, massive on-demand players in the States. And that could, that, that could be a really thorny issue for the BBC. Back to Jane Bennett. Uh, Jane, who's going who's gonna to take over her old job or, or will the old job still exist ahead of BBC well, Vision? I... Uh, that's what I'm not entirely 100% sure that they will replace that job. I know there needs to be somebody who is coordinating, don't they, and sort of making sure that BBC One and BBC Two are not 
uh, constantly squabbling. But that sort of level of big job, I don't know, given all the noises that have come out without... I mean, maybe because Mark Byford's gone, you do need someone. Um, You know, lots of names in the frame all seem a little bit... Heard them before, you know, there's no one sort of new and exciting, which I suppose either suggest that's the way it's going to be because BBC are not really in a big hiring, uh, you know, big expensive talent from outside anymore or that perhaps they're going to somehow fudge it and do it in another way. I don't the, know, it's interesting. The one thing you can guarantee is if someone does take the same role, it won't be at the same salary level. Yeah. Total payback, it was at 517k, mm. I think, last time around. Uh, I mean, the, the list of contenders is, long as bo- is uh, just about as long as both my arms. Uh, people like... Um, that's because they're all the same contenders that come up at any senior BBC job, aren't they? I mean, literally, that Runners and Riders was practically every senior BBC person plus Jane Root. What are you trying to suggest, to Jane? And the stick. Uh, but uh, George Entwistle has been mentioned in dispatches, I hear. But uh, people are saying that uh, this job, uh, there's one eye with disappointment on who will be the next DG. Yeah. Do you think that's fair? Which is why, I mean, Helen Bowden, I think, is quite interesting, you know, because of the whole head of news, and that's quite a classic way to... She's always seen as... Well, actually... <laughs> Jane was always seen as the possible first female director general, and now that has gone seamlessly to Helen Bowden. The Bayern. mantle's passed on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that you know, there's uh, but lots of people in the frame, aren't they? And George Entmans, who obviously was was also in the frame for the Radio Four job. Well, vacancies at the BBC not thin on the ground. There's also uh, BBC Three jobs still to be filled, uh, and it turns out uh, Ben Stevenson is going to stay as commissioning controller of BBC Drama. Says he's not interested in the job. Now, uh, uh, do we believe him? Yeah, well, I I found that believable just because of the... Um, he hasn't been a drama that long. And also, I, well, I suppose to me, Mark Thompson seems to have thought BBC Three was a fabulous, fabulous success. So much so, obviously, that Danny's gone to BBC One. Now, why would he so change it to put someone like Ben with a very different background in? I mean, I'm not... You know, he's done great things at drama. So that's why it seems to me sort of unlikely that he would go and do it um of course it could happen but you know you can imagine it's quite exciting if you get someone like angela jane from channel four i mean it's i bennett's very very similar i think to the sort of danny cohen background well he sent out a very public email didn't he saying that he's not he's not after the job so uh you would have thought pretty difficult now for for him to be to be considered i I think the number of times (laughs) well yeah but but, i mean sometimes occasionally in speeches yeah you know i i think the big challenge for bbc3 and what danny cohen did well unusually for a tv controller was he really showed a great understanding of how um how online should be feeding into his programs and obviously that whole idea of developing bbc3 as a brand not necessarily just as a tv brand Uh, and clearly that's that's right and applicable for the a demographic that BBC Three is targeting. I think the real challenge is um, where where is someone with similar thinking going to to come from? Because I think uh, certainly outside, I think you've got to look outside of the BBC for those sorts of characters. You've probably got to look at Channel Four and yeah, potentially ITV Two um, to find people who are stu- who have already made moves in that direction. Uh, we're hurtling towards the end of the show at great velocity, and that means it's time to talk television. It is, of course, the denouement of The X Factor this weekend with Cher, Rebecca, Matt and One Direction, I know all these people intimately, uh, pitted <laughs> against each other. We'll talk more about the final in a moment. First, though, let's hear from one of the other stars of the show, Peter Dixon. 
What do you mean, Peter Who? He's the voice of the X Factor. I spoke to him earlier to find out about the strange life of the voiceover artiste, but I started by asking, who's been his favourite contestant from this series? Oh, Wagner, of course, I think, uh, was uh, provided a great deal of uh, light relief. Um, Simon hated him, I think. Um, I thought he was funny, uh, but I think he went out at the right point. Favourite uh, in terms of uh, talent, I guess. Um, in you terms know, of I re- talent, that's, that's yeah. tough on Wagner. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he, has, he had other talents. Yes, <laughs> he, had the, the talents to, he had the talent to amuse uh, and amuse me greatly. I used to look forward to seeing his... Uh, increasingly outlandish performances every week um, and his roving eye he couldn't keep his eyes off the dancers and so much so he forgot his words most of the time it was hilarious I really quite like One Direction just because they're just young and they're like little puppy dogs you know and, and they're, all, they're they're desperately nice guys as well they're just re- they really get it they work hard they, and they understand it and uh, they're just really nice to be around um, but are, I they, actually but are they going that, to win? I, actually, I don't know I don't know whether they will win they, you know the public vote in the, in the way the public vote and, and you can never really predicted um I, I honestly don't know i mean it's it's anyone's game they're all so good they're all so different they all they all fact in it's cliched i know but they're all winners in their own right um and i'm sure that all each and every one of them will go on and do stuff uh and 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 have a fantastic next 12 months you know as they as they all do so how do you get to become the voice of the x factor well, uh, I saw the uh, pilot show for this series way back seven or eight years ago. I said I called Simon's office up and I said, "Look, I need to um, be involved in this show because I, I just loved the format from the very first moment I saw it, and I thought that this was the show that I could really bring and my, my, put my own stamp on and make it sound as uh, uh, as big and ridiculous as it is, uh, because it is it's like a huge pantomime, you know, and, and it's the only time I really get to let rip in front of a microphone. And um, so I said to them, yeah, let, let me audition for it. So I did. I, I auditioned with a couple of other guys and uh, Simon eventually made the decision that uh, I should do it. So I, was, I was very pleased and delighted and still continue to uh, to love working on it. You mentioned the auditions there. Is there sort of a, a healthy rivalry between the, the voiceover men and the industry <laughs> and women? We're all very nice to each other when we meet each other. We're, we are, in fact, all rivals, I guess, to a certain extent, you know. But uh, we, there's a little inner circle of us who meet occasionally. We have a, we usually have a Christmas uh, get-together in a, upstairs, above a pub in London. It's a sound to behold, rather, because <laughs> um, all these fabulously fruity voices in one room are uh, getting increasingly drunk. It's a most hilarious evening. You take turn to order. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's time to release those big money balls. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, In your career, you describe yourself as an overnight success, but, uh, but uh, after 35 years. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, several overnights, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've, I've kind of always felt uh, that I belonged in this in this business. I ever since I was a child. I mean, since I, going back to when I was seven or eight years old, I, all I ever wanted to do was be on the radio. My father had an old radio set with lovely valves in it that glowed warmly in the background, and these fabulously fruity voices would come out. And I thought, I really want to be in that radio as a child only would, you know. And, I, I, and I, it's always been a, an ambition. So. Um, I achieved that ambition at the age of 17 when I joined the BBC as a, right after school uh, and while I was still doing my degree and all the way through my degree I was working for the BBC in a part-time capacity and uh, at 17 I, uh, I made my very first broadcast I think I read the fat stock prices on Radio Ulster to about seven or eight 
probably seven or eight barely asleep or awake <laughs> farmers in County Antrim. And, uh, uh, for me, that was the that was the uh, the pinnacle of my career at that point. I thought I'd made it, and but it's been it's been a fantastic career. I've I've I enjoyed every minute of it. No two days are the same, and uh, you know I just love everything that gets thrown at me now. But since then, you've done, you've done Brutus Prices right. You've been a psychotic octopus on uh, Xbox's Dragon Quest. Where, where else have we heard you? Uh, I think uh, everywhere except News at 10, uh, probably. Right, <laughs> I'm still working on that. Uh, now I do loads of different things. As you rightly say, I do a lot of Xbox and PlayStation games. I've just done a big game called Fable uh, in its third ed- um, edition now. Um, and I'm also the host of uh, Microsoft's brand new uh, platform, Connect, which uh, is the first party developer game that was made for that and the most popular at the moment. It's called Connect Sports. I, I voice that. Um, and... Um, I do endless amounts of corporate work for companies uh, who invite me to uh, shout loudly at their um, delegates at conferences. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I love what I do. It's fantastic. And, and radio and TV, of course, I do loads of that. TV yeah. commercials, radio commercials. And I've got my own iPhone app now as well. I never thought I'd have an iPhone app where people can download um, my uh, my voice on their, on their iPhone and on the Android phones um, and create an infinite number of fantastically weird sentences <laughs> so uh, so you do voice messages and you do uh, proposals of marriage i believe as well is that right i know um, uh, weird, yeah i mean i uh, i have this um everywhere i go people say to me oh you must record my voicemail message for me and they have thrust their mobile phone at me and of course i'm happy to do it i can only do so many so i thought I'll, i built this website where people can go it's called myruddyvoice.com and people can go on there and 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 have a bit of, have me speak their name and and uh, on their voicemail message or a text alert or an alarm on their phone or if they wanted to send something rude to somebody or as you rightly say somebody did ask me to propose to their boyfriend the other day which i thought was weird but um, i'm happy to do it i'll take the money was it a and, yes you know <laughs> i don't know what i've no idea what he's probably probably it was a disaster i never heard anything uh, back whether there was a, a yes or a no or go away and try harder i don't know <laughs> and tell us finally who's the give us the goss who's the better company at lunchtime is it louis cheryl danny or simon louis when he's on form is hilarious uh, and that's usually all the time. Uh, he's just a, a very funny man. Funny man. Danny's uh, so wonderful uh, to be around. She's just uh, enjoying motherhood at the moment. So the, her dressing room resembles mother care. Um, and um, Simon, um, I don't know. He kind of he, he's the dark prince of the show. He 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 doesn't uh, come onto the floor that often. He spends most of his time uh, in his dressing room, uh, kind of. Um, indulging in uh, big talk with people on the other side of the Atlantic I, think, I would hate to see his phone bill um, and Cheryl is um, yeah she's uh, she's lovely too she's very nice I, I couldn't choose between them possibly Peter Dixon voiceover man there and if you didn't spot the massive plug for his app you can get all the details at peterdixon.co.uk that's Dixon with a CK not an X and it's .co.uk not com which it turns out is someone else entirely anyway back to our panel here in the pod I have a hunch you're maybe not an X-Factor man, Steve. Is that right? Well, I, I have told Matt a few times when I've been in the pod that I am that, that grumpy old man who sits in the other room uh, whilst my wife and kids watch the X-Factor. However, <laughs> I, can, I can exclusively reveal today yeah, you, you will be watching. in the pod, I will be watching uh, this Sunday's final because I've been invited, invited over to someone else's house to have a takeaway and watch the final with all the kids. Ooh. And I thought, I can't be grumpy old man for that. I've got to at least show some... 
an X Factor party. Some enthusiasm. Oh, Jane, did you get... I do, I've not been invited around someone's house. Well, but... I, I'm slightly traumatised this year. I had an X Factor party last year. And then this year I've been to someone else's house and I'm not sure they're going to watch. Really? No. Do you want to ask that person now, maybe? <laughs> I don't think they're listening. So, um, but who's your hot tip? Well, I would be really cross if Rebecca doesn't win. And everybody keeps telling me she's not going to win. But she's so obviously the best talent... And it's brilliant. I think she's great. I'm a, I'm a big One Direction fan. Oh, so my ch- well, no, not all my children. My daughter is mad, mad keen. Seven years old, thinks they're lovely. Leona Lewis for me. Is she is she still <laughs> is she still in it? She's still in the running. <laughs> yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca's the new Leona Lewis. But uh, yeah, but seriously, uh, I mean, this uh, this series has been an absolute triumph. I mean, uh, ratings up, uh, blanket coverage in the tabloids. You know, I mean, uh, it's all it's a conspiracy, though, isn't it? I mean, what? I know obviously we're surrounded by WikiLeaks all the time. However, I mean, this whole thing, you know, the the fixes, the daily coverage, the sort of people they've thrown out. You would almost think Simon Cow had made it all up. You would almost think that, wouldn't you? You <laughs> well, would almost, is, but you don't. But you'd almost think that. This is this is very. You wouldn't say it. This is very similar to when Big Big Brother was at its height. And, you know, the same sort of PR activity would happen where day after day you'd get headlines and coverage. I think it's, it actually is phenomenal what they've done. And I think the really interesting thing in terms of ITV is, is you know, when you read the sort, sorts of figures some of the, um, the sort of ad spots are going for on the weekend and the money that, um, that ITV are expecting to generate around it. I think £25 million is is the figure being quoted. Whether that's right or not, I don't know. Um, but, you know... This this is starting to get sort of Super Bowl status for ITV in the sense of being this huge, massive hit that, that sort of happens annually that they really do rake in a huge amount of revenue from. The challenge for them is obviously they've got to make sure they don't get into the same position as Channel 4 did with Big Brother at Big Brother's height where they're too over-reliant just on this on this one programme because obviously the, 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 the power that uh, Psycho then then gets, gets from that is immense. It's also that 10-year thing. You know, there's this sort of increased expectation. Hits become much bigger. I mean, it's never going to be Super Bowl because of Super Bowl sort of place in a sporting calendar. Um, it's a sort of different reality event, isn't it? it? How long does it go on for? I mean, it's obviously nowhere near going down but actually it's not going to last forever it's going to be interesting to see what they do well talking about another itv reality show um i'm a celebrity Uh, there were two questions everyone was asking uh, this week who won i'm a celebrity and then who's stacy uh who won i'm a celebrity (laughs) but uh, but jane you look offended you're a big fan big stacy fan um well i didn't i have to confess the one show i haven't really watched a lot of is i'm a celebrity didn't have a party for Um, that but i have no but i have been reading lots of the stuff and um there's no need to watch these shows anymore is there no get all on the tabloids and all the on on twitter and you sort of um mediaguardian.co.uk yeah exactly um so but you know i like the fact that she's being praised i've not watched it it's just third and three thousandth hand obviously you know she's being praised for all the things like just being a bit of a good egg and joining in and well 15 million people watch coronation street so what are the chances is that none of us watch that. Jane? <laughs> Are you picking on me or something? No, this no, week? Just, just checking <laughs> if you saw it. It looks like that. No, although I'm going to watch it tonight because I just think a whole, or record it tonight actually, a whole, you're, you know, an hour's it's live. It's a live episode, know, so anything could go wrong. And you're, at the right and you're time. recording it. But that always happens. That's now the new world, isn't it? You can't always be there for live events. I'll be, I'll be watching. Well, uh, nil, nil poir for me in terms of watching Cory, but, um, but un, un poir in terms of... Uh, this is very good. You see what I'm doing? Uh, 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 in terms of uh, watching I'm a Celeb, because I, I, was a, I was a big fan of it. And, what do you um, think of Stacey? Well, I mean, who cares about Stacey? But I think, I, I think Anne and Deck are brilliant and are the, are the reason... I mean, don't forget, that show's been going... I think that was the ninth series 
or eighth series. I mean, that show has been going Doesn't a long feel time like as it, well. Well, you know, actually, they, I think they've, they've still got a bit of a way, a way to go with that show. It's still rating phenomenally, as long as they can hold on to those two guys presenting it, because I think they really bring something also, very, very different. No, but what I felt this year, which is much more coverage this time, was that they, well, they're not celebrities, but, you know, that, that mix of people were great, actually, right from the beginning. The cast list. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I was thinking they're not celebrities, but what do you call them? Those people. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Very good. But before we head off into the sunset, Jane and Steve, do you want to tell me something you've learned from your week in the media? Uh, Mr. Ackerman, I think we'll start with you. Well, n- nothing overly fascinating, but... Um, <laughs> Over to Jane. Yeah. No, no, carry on, Steve. <laughs> well, only, only, I suppose, the, the sort of outdated uh, rules that, that broadcasters are still having to operate in. And I'm really thinking about uh, Ofcom... Um, having a look at X Factor because of Derma O'Leary mentioning Dino Vickers and I think I can't remember which other artist it was when the, when they played on the show he referred to the website where you could download their songs from and um, and I realised just how outdated and silly this was when I was trying to explain this to my 11 year old who is a big fan of X Factor and he said well, well what what's the problem Dad if you can refer to the website for the actual artists who are you know the the candidates who are on the show on, on X Factor why not for the for the professional stars as well it just seems really really daft and um, you know, I think Ofcom's got to play catch up very, very quickly because if commercial broadcasters are going to have the chances for other revenue streams, I know product placements coming in early in the new year, but you know, come on, let's get some of this nonsense sorted out as well. And Jane, I went to see Tron with my nine-year-old. In three, realise it's all very well going away from childish things, except couldn't understand it. Sat there. He, however, was at the edge of his seat, is so gripped, and this morning was practically chanting, I am not a programme. So, you know, there is is a little budding computer hacker there. That's good. Someone someone who really thinks he could go into a computer and take part in games on a grid with his father. I haven't seen Tron, but I did learn uh, via producer Ben. Did you see the beginning one? Because I think all women don't actually seem... I can't even remember the first Tron, whereas men seem to know there was one before the legacy. Yes. (laughs) Welcome to the Guardian Film Podcast. Uh, I learned that, uh, if I can tell you my learning, uh, that uh, inaugural X Factor winner Steve Brookstein turned on the uh, Christmas lights on Upper Street in Islington uh, and then performed his new single, Don't Give Up in front of around eight people on a stage outside HMV. And I so. thought he had given up. So no. he's still singing and doing all that then? He is, yeah. Not can, earning much money. I can tell you now my, my Steve Brookstein hits a low story very briefly, which was uh, about three or four years ago. Um, Are you acing my learnings? Well, uh, <laughs> all, on, I, all I'll do is tell you my story, which is three, three, three or four years ago, I was at the, uh, the, the Brits after party and it was a, a circus-themed thing and they had a little karaoke sort of gypsy caravan that you could stand on the steps of the caravan and, and it was it was a karaoke thing and there was Steve Brookstein doing his karaoke to about 14 people it was um, you, you couldn't help but look at him and think how the mighty have fallen <laughs> did you do it did you sing to all the assembled dignities no absolutely <laughs> not me, me and karaoke do not mix well don't give up Steve uh, excellent stuff well uh, thank you Jane and thank you Steve uh, post your feedback on everything you've just heard on our blog that's guardian.co.uk slash media talk or follow me on Twitter at John Plunkett 149 Matt Wells is back next week for what will be the final media talk of 2010 until then I've been John Plunkett and our producer's been Ben Green thanks for listening warning this podcast contains language that some Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.